I'm Rebecca Malachi-Meslin, and welcome to Finding Common Ground, a new show on Naperville Community Television focused on important current events and how they impact our diverse population. We are many voices of one community, often with strong opinions on every side of an issue. And I'm Dana Davenport. In this episode, we are talking to parents in our community about their personal reactions to the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Each of their stories is a window to the new or not so new discussions parents face around issues of race and privilege. Here, through courageous conversation, in the interest of discovering collaborative solutions, we hope to find our common ground. Joining us now are two moms, great friends of ours. I want to first introduce Kim White. How are you, Kim? I'm doing great, Dana. How are you? I'm good. Can you tell us a little bit about your family dynamic? Yeah, so um, I moved here 15 years ago with my husband and our two children. Um, we moved here, our son was starting ninth grade and our daughter was starting fourth grade. And so our son now is 28 and our daughter's 24. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I want to welcome Jackie Claremont. I'm um, so happy to have you here. Tell us a little bit about your family dynamic. Sure, I'm happy to be here also. Um, I have been in the community for 40 years, so moved here with my parents. Um, I now live actually in the same neighborhood I grew up in. Um, have four children, uh, one in grade school, two in junior high, and one in high school. Um, so I have watched Naperville grow um, since I was a youth myself. Awesome. So let's jump right in. What was your reaction to the George Floyd murder? That was Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Yeah, you know, I don't even remember what I was doing all day, but I remember that night. Um, I was watching it. I had been hearing about something happened on TV, but I hadn't seen it. And so that night I was getting ready for bed and um, I saw it. I saw, um, you know, a bunch of people um, standing around. I saw police standing around and I saw this man being, you know, murdered on television. And I was, you know, incredibly sad that this was happening again. That was my first thought, like this is happening again. Um, and then, you know, I, I heard Mr. Floyd um, call out for his mother. Mm. And um, I think when I heard that, it just took me to another place. In that moment, um, you know, I wondered, um, you know, how has his mother receiving this, you know, not knowing if she was dead or alive, mm -hmm. right, at that time. And, um, but I, you know, I think as moms, we all hear the, the mother, yes. when our kids call us, and there's that mom, like you're annoying me, mm -hmm. and then there's that <laughs> mom, like they need help. Oh, yeah. And um, in that moment, I just wanted to help him. And mm. um, it was just very hard, very mm -hmm. hard to watch, mm. very hard to watch. My reaction was, um, well, how are people just standing around and watching mm -hmm. this happen? Um, you know, the time, the, the, the minutes that went by, um, that human beings were watching this happen to another human being and watching. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that, was, that was a big, big deal for me of how can someone walk down the street and see this happen and not do anything yeah. about it. Um, and then of course the mother, you know, calling out for his mother. Um, it, you know, no matter what color your skin is at that point, the mother in you, um, just your heart just wrenches for that and you put yourself in that situation thinking you know what if that was my child I know and no one's helping him. right 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 yeah. people are just standing there watching mm -hmm. yeah and and not just people police yeah right right police people of authority 
Yeah, yep. people, authority. What, um, you have teenagers at home, mm -hmm. and they're on social media, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So how quickly <laughs> did your children find out about this, and what was that first conversation like? Um, we, t we talked about it as a family, just, you know, the injustice of all of it. Um, unfortunately, I think they look at social media and think everything that they hear is correct and right, right? They don't have a filter of knowing what's right, what's wrong. Um, so, you know, the coaching of that, um, to not believe everything you see right away, not um, take everything that you watch, learn, your friends tell you, um, you know, really search through what the truth is, um, and then, you know, we can discuss it together. Um, so we had that discussion, but they heard and saw a lot of things that were not true, in my opinion, or, or were not just um, from references that weren't valid. So social media is, can be a wonderful thing, but it can also be um, very um, thought-provoking in the wrong direction that I want my children mm -hmm. to go, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, and um, so for us, you know, we again watched it and then um, talking to our kids who are back home with us because um, of COVID, right? So they're, they're back, they both live uh, back east. Um, and our son couldn't watch it at all. He, mm. um, he just he couldn't he just couldn't watch it mm -hmm. at all and um but talking to them um you know our daughter was why is this still happening and you know this time is this time was different right i think with COVID, you know everybody was watching because mm -hmm. people aren't commuting back and forth to work and it's on tv all day kids are home i mean it was just really it's something that's out there so everybody's watching it so i think um you know having that conversation with our kids around it was just really really difficult so what has the conversation been like with your friends about this? So for me, I, um, I wrote a letter. I, wrote a, I put out a Facebook post, and I actually went back and forth on, on you know, whether or not I wanted to do that, um, just because you don't know how people are going to respond on, on social media. So I, I, put this, I put this post out there, and I've got, I got a ton of mm -hmm. you know, response, a lot of you know, uh, feedback. A lot of people reached out. Um, what did you say? So the post just really talked about in that moment, um, kind of over the course of a couple days, because I kept going back and forth to it, um, just what was going on in our house. You know, my husband was trying to put some words to paper because he was going to be giving a speech around it. And, um, you know, our, our daughter was having contact, uh, phone, uh, Zoom calls with her work colleagues back in um, D.C. And um, our son, too, was having Zoom calls with his, his colleagues back in New York. And, um, and he came in. My husband and I were both working in the office, and he came in, and he was, he was about to go for a run. And so in that mm -hmm. moment, you know, we, we all just froze. Not that that hadn't happened before, but, you know, it was um, in that moment, we just looked at each other and thought, oh, my goodness, you know, it's this, you know, how, how do we feel about this? But we, you know, we knew conversations we've had in the past and, and all of that. But in the letter, I just, you know, I really just wanted to talk about my family, my family dynamics and how we were all feeling. Um, and I talked about being a mother of black kids and raising black kids and the mm -hmm. differences. I think, you know, we, there's a lot of similarities. As mothers, we want our kids to, you know, be, be healthy and happy, find their person, you know, do all those things. Um, but raising black kids, you also have to, um, you know, talk to them about, um, you know, if you have an encounter with the police or, um, 
you know, when you be prepared for the N-word, um, those types of things. Mm -hmm. And so I shared that in my letter, and then I just got tons of response um, from family, I mean, from friends and family, but from friends. And some people I heard from, some people I didn't. Um, but, and that says something too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Kim, your post um, woke me up. Um, I put myself in your situation and, and was, you know, looking at your words and looking how you talked about, you know, things you have to talk with your children about that mm -hmm. I don't as a white woman. Um, and I, I like put myself in, in your words and realized the difference of, of parenting from a, a white point of view and a black point of view. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have those conversations with my kids, but it gave me an open heart and compassion and I think more knowledge of you know, the struggles that you have and, and that I don't as a white mm -hmm. woman. So I appreciated your post um, and it, it woke me up to things that I, I wasn't relevant to before that. So yeah. I thank you for that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I heard that from a number of people. And I think that, um, you know, sometimes people think, well, it doesn't happen to you, right? You know, from a socioeconomic standpoint, you know, we would be considered privileged, I guess. Um, but that, at the end of the day, you know, we're black. Yep. And um, we are, we've been discriminated against, you know, my husband, myself, our kids. Um, it doesn't really matter with that privilege. And so I think some of the comments I got from people um, was, I can't believe this happens to you. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that this has happened to you. And if it can happen to you, it can happen to anyone. Yeah. I think it brings a light to how the injustice hits mm -hmm. and the way that it impacts. Mm -hmm. um, I also talked about my perspective as a mother of a special needs mm -hmm. black son. Um, in addition to having a daughter as well. And it's important because his triggers may not necessarily be something that's easily apparent or readily apparent. So, and that can be interpreted as, as defiance mm -hmm. um, with an authority um, that could cost him his life. Um, what are white people saying about Black Lives Matter? That's a good question. Well, I know that you know, I'm also a mother, I have two white sons, and you know, those same kinds of conversations started coming up in our household when George Floyd was murdered. And we talked a lot about um, those experiences and how different they are from my sons, right? So my children are eight and 11, and my 11-year-old and I had uh, quite an in-depth discussion about it, and I realized in that moment that we had talked about racism, we had talked about things like aggression and uh, microaggressions, macroaggressions, what that looks like, and being an upstander, right? Because we've had that bullying conversation mm -hmm. about standing up for your uh -huh. friends, and mm -hmm. um, but we needed to give it in the context of racism, and that's when Black Lives Matter started to come into the conversation, and what that really means, uh, and caring for others, and my 11-year-old totally got it. I mean, he, he was looking at it through this lens of understanding yet he'll never really get it, right? right? Because he doesn't have to live that experience. Mm -hmm. So um, the stories that I think we're hearing out of the black community right now are having that impact like your story did, right? And like your story did um, on so many of us who have, don't have those lived experiences. And so I think at a time when Black Lives Matter for a lot of white people felt like it didn't apply 
to them, mm -hmm. suddenly they're seeing those black lives are oh. their community members, mm -hmm. their friends, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it, it's looking a lot different. It's a different lens. Um, we also were talking just as much about understanding white privilege, right? Um, and that's a hard term, I think, for kids to understand. And so I, I, I tweaked it as, you know, unearned advantages, right? So we have advantages that are given to us, earned or not, as, as a white family. Um, so we really kind of opened that up a bit. And I think since, you know, we are a white family, they understood that and that made the Black Lives Matter more understanding. For, I don't know if that makes sense. but. Mm -hmm. Once they understood the things that, that, as a white family, we have advantages, then they understood the disadvantages, mm -hmm. right? And so it was a good conversation of um, opening up um, ideas and thoughts that I don't think were in their, their head before, mm -hmm. right? And Kim, you talked about, you didn't hear from some people that maybe you expected to. Mm -hmm. Are your white friends checking up on you? Are they checking in with you? Yeah, you know, they, they are. I mean, you know, I, I guess I would group people. I have my circle, I have friends, I have acquaintances, right? right? So I've heard from a number of people. Um, there are some people I haven't heard from, right? So, um, but those that, that I have heard from, it's just interesting. We, um, we uh, one day I got a, there was a knock on the door, right? It's COVID, we're not really opening the door for people, but someone's <laughs> knocking, banging on the door. And I, you know, I go out to, to open the door and, there was four huge bouquets of flowers outside on our front porch. And um, I immediately try to go, you know, run down the, the, the delivery driver because I'm like, someone died. Like, who, where did all these flowers mm -hmm. come from? It's not my birthday. Yeah, it's not my birthday, but, you know, who gets four bouquet of flowers at the same time? So, you know, I, he, he lets us window down and I said, um, I said, I don't think these are for me. You know, this is, these are for this house. And he goes, what's your name? And I said, you know, Kim White. He goes, Oh, no, they're for you. So then I opened the card. And so the card's from, you know, a dear friend and uh, sent a bouquet to both one to my husband and my kids. And just really talked about, um, you know, uh, one, being a friend, but two, you know, what can I do? What yeah. can we do? Mm -hmm. I want to be part of the, you know, what part of the solution here. I want to, you know, I want to sit down and talk about this. So, yeah, we are hearing from friends and then some people we have not. Do you think the conversation um, in terms of, of raising children um, who are black versus white has, has some of those differences, right? You had talked about some of that, about your conversation and your narratives being different. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I think about it being similar to how we raise girls versus boys. There's mm -hmm. certain conversations mm -hmm. you need to have particularly with girls when it comes to safety, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. um, where the, the narrative, of course we want our boys to be safe, but the narrative may be a bit different. Mm -hmm. Does that help contextualize the types of conversations we need to be having with, with children, um, particularly the younger kids, about, about Black Lives Matter? Yeah, I, so yeah, I, I think so, for, for sure. So <clears throat> I, you know, when I think about when you start to have that conversation, um, you know, um, you know, I think about elementary school, first day of school or probably first grade and kids are, you know, learning about history and they, they start to learn about black history and, and the, the narrative around black history is, um, you know, slavery. Right. And so white kids and black kids are in the class together and they're, they're, they're hearing this. And so they hear it there, they go home and there's no continued conversation around mm -hmm. that. 
Well, and I think about white parents, right? So black children are coming home and they're in pain, yeah. right? They're, they're hearing these things, they're reading these things, and they're, they're feeling pain from it. And white children are coming home and they might have some realizations, but they're probably not in pain because yeah. this isn't something that they're feeling. They're yeah. not the, the subject of it. Um, but there's a lot of white parents that are just afraid to have that conversation. So if your white child comes home and starts asking you questions, yeah. right? and you don't feel equipped to answer them, what do we do? Yeah. And I think a lot of white parents deflect the conversation, right? It's like uh, you know, they're, yeah. they're scrambling uh, a lot of times because we don't feel like we have the authority, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so centered in our whiteness, too. Yeah. Um, Jackie, do you, you know, as your kids were coming home mm -hmm. and you were learning about what they were learning about mm -hmm. in school, you know, did you feel equipped to have those conversations with your kids? Not really. Um, I think the older I get and the more um, I start doing personal research and my own searching for understanding and um, listening to others, um, listening to, to black mothers talk about how they parent. That is where my education is growing because I'm choosing to reach and look for those resources. Mm -hmm. um, so to those parents that, you know, don't feel comfortable talking to their white children about um, slavery or, or really any interracial um, relationships, you know, I would suggest that they need to do their own inner searching, mm -hmm. um, which I have just begun on this, this journey. Um, I, I've always been a compassionate person, the golden rule, treat others, mm -hmm. um, but I'm also not a black mother and I, I, I see a different, uh, I, I don't have to struggle, um, you know, like the, the two of you might have to do with your children. Mm -hmm. So I think if, if more white families would acknowledge that those that exists and that's a true thing, mm -hmm. um, then you can only learn and be compassionate and, and find ways to, you know, tell those stories to your children. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I would say oftentimes you don't even know that the conversation is happening at school, right? Right. And so for us, you know, it's one of those things that you, you know when they, you know, in February comes around, they're gonna talk about black history. So you know you need to start having those conversations when they come home. And so we had already, you know, prompted our kids, if you will, about, um, you know, or my husband and I talked about at what age do we talk to our kids about, you know, the N-word and all of that. So, you know, we were prepared. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if it's not happening in the, in the, you know, in the homes of the white families, then, mm -hmm. yeah, that's just, there's been this, you know, this is the way that people have, this is, you know, their mindset now moving forward. Well, we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come back and talk more about the conversations that we're having about race with our kids. We'll be right back. Stay informed with NCTV 17 News Update. These free videos sent straight to your email summarize the latest information and show you what's happening around town. Visit nctv17.com slash subscribe to sign up now. Welcome back to Finding Common Ground. I'd like to continue the conversation um, by talking a little bit about white fragility. And I think it's a term that's really, um, a lot is being spoken about it, there's a book about it, but a lot of people don't necessarily understand what that means. Uh, and what's interesting is that the whole concept behind it, right, is that as we have these conversations about race, white people are taking such great offense mm -hmm. that they might themselves be perpetrators of racism. And instead, 
the concept behind it is that we're trying to help people, specifically white people, identify their implicit bias mm -hmm. and be able to say, you can still be a good person and be racist, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you don't own it, if you don't call it what it is, then you'll never be an anti-racist. You'll mm -hmm. never get past that. Uh, so I think a lot of people are seeing that now, again, on social media and the news. Uh, talk a little bit about what that looks like and, and the response maybe, what, a, what a, a fragile white response might look like or how you've experienced it. I try to stay off of social media right now just because it's not like, the best place to be mm -hmm. around this issue. Um, so there's all these groups out there and you know, depending on what group you, you sign on to, um, you'll read things that people are saying. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing is, is they're not private. So it's people you know. Right. It's like, tell me a lot of people. Tell me how you really feel. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. And in this COVID world, obviously, I'm not seeing these people, but I'm actually reading a lot of what people are saying. And I think, I mean, I think to your point, Rebecca, you know, it's, we, I mean, we all have biases, we all have these things, right? But you have to be able to confront those things and be able to, you know, look in the mirror and say, yeah, you know, this is how I feel about this, this is how I feel about that, but then what are you going to do about it, right? So when I see this stuff on social media, it's, it's really disheartening. It's very sad. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know what I'll do when I see some of these people in person. Um, well, and from a parenting it, so. perspective, right, like you're looking at people who you know have children mm -hmm. and you're thinking if that's how they're looking, right, that's the lens they're looking at the world, then that's probably mm -hmm. what they're also teaching their children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think if, if, if you own, um, you know, I say I'm not, I'm not a racist person. In, in my heart, I'm not. But I'm sure I have, you know, unconscious bias that or just systematically within mm -hmm. me from where I was, you know, white family, where I grew up, mm -hmm. um, that I think if you own it, you apologize it and you, and you learn from it. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't make it okay, mm -hmm. but at least you're acknowledging, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, does somebody say, oh, I'm not racist, I have a black friend. Or if or I'm a not black family member. Or a black, right, <laughs> or, you know, that's yeah. kind of a red flag even to me as a white person um, that you need to you know, I have things I still need to work on, um, being, you know, a white woman in a white community, um, that to make myself better, to make um, me understand black, brown, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it may be, the struggles, and be compassionate and, and hopefully make a change somehow. Yeah. Um, but I think if, if white people would just acknowledge that they do have some sort of racism or prejudice or, and then grow from there, mm -hmm. I think that would be a first step for, for the white community. Yeah. And part of the fragility is just the simple denial mm -hmm. yeah. um, of the privilege, which mm -hmm. is, you know, it can be a trigger word mm -hmm. that, that there is privilege. And some people take that to mean that I haven't been through struggles, I right. haven't had hardships, right. I haven't had a difficult life. You can enjoy privilege, whether it be socioeconomic, racial, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sexual privilege, mm -hmm. um, and, and still go through things, still mm -hmm. have hard times. Um, in other areas mm -hmm. and so part of it is just acknowledging, acknowledging that it exists in the first place and that people have experiences that are outside of your own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that we've been talking about earlier have just been really about allyship mm -hmm. and what that means, what it means to understand someone else's experiences and not judge them through your own lens, mm -hmm. meaning that I accept your experiences as being your own. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what you've been through, because it's not my experience. Yeah.
but also learning how to be your ally, mm-hmm. right? Not just um, selecting, you know, you're going to be my black friend. Yeah. Um, but, but being intentional about making some of those connections and, and making connections in an authentic way. Yeah. So let's talk about that because I think this is a great lesson for those who are watching about how you, how you have conversations about being an ally. And let's start with ourselves and then maybe we can talk more about how you pass some of these messages on to, to your children. So, you know, for me, when I think about, you know, the, the importance of allyship is I think, um, you know, we always want that person or folks who are, you know, kind of coming alongside us and helping you us. And have your we, back. Too. Yeah, and have your like, back, You right? need to know who you can trust mm-hmm. in all of this, too. Right. And so, you know, and if, you know, if I think back to Mr. Floyd's, you know, murder and, and just watching, um, you know, what happened that, that day, um, for me, I realized in that moment, like we need all the we need all the mamas, right? It was so. It's if it if it if it if it wasn't painfully clear before then, it became if it wasn't clear before then, it became painfully clear after that. Mm-hmm. That in order for us to, um, uh, you know, acknowledge and move forward, we needed allyship from mamas to come together because this needed to stop happening, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, you know, that's just, you know, where I am with that in, in terms of allyship. I mean, we need, we need our white mamas. We need, our, we, need, we need everyone to come together. Kim, as a white mother, what would you, you know, what, what can we do to, to ha- like, what can, can we do to help or to, to make it a better place for everybody? You know, how can we as white mothers help black mothers? Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, being part of the conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I think people need to be intentional about their circle. Mm -hmm. Like, who's who's part of your circle, right? If your circle, I I share this, you know, I say this a lot, if your circle on a Friday night is being around a table with everyone who looks like you, that's a problem, right? right? Um, and so um, I think what we need is um, for people to educate themselves. You know, I don't think you need to look for, you know, black mothers and fathers to, to um, you know, talk about the things you would need to, you know, books you would need to read and all that. I mean, it's about really educating yourself around mm-hmm. that. I know you've talked about that. It's something that you're doing now mm-hmm. specifically. But, and I can answer that question yeah. too. But, I think mm-hmm. there's yeah. so many different ways in which you can demonstrate allyship. You can talk, if you have younger kids, you can start there because they're so impressionable mm-hmm. um, about understanding and appreciating and celebrating differences. When your kids come home with the Black History Month lesson, which will be very interesting to see how that's changed next year. Um, But but have those conversations and contextualize, conceptualize what that really means. I think for older children, I think it's about having conversations as they make friends of different colors. Mm -hmm. Teach them to be allies uh, when they're out in social settings. These incidents when people are dying happen in minutes. There's no preview, there's no... Mm -hmm set up for it. Oh. It happens in a split second. So it's, what do you do? You know, raise children who would react in a George Floyd moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If your child was a bystander walking down the street when George Floyd was being murdered, 
or, or it was, you know, even if the police weren't involved, but, but raise children that would be responsive safely, right? I don't want mm -hmm. other people dying or being hurt, but, right. but taking action, being children of action and change, speaking up when they see things that are wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't have to be a murderous situation. Absolutely. It could be a Halloween costume. Absolutely. It can be a joke. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be a Craigslist post. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be so many different things where there's these micro inequities where someone needs to say, hey, that's not cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those need to be the conversations that are happening when there are no black people mm -hmm. in the room. Mm -hmm. um, weaponize your wallet, right? You know, so don't support businesses that are known to Absolutely. be owned by people who are racist. I'm no longer going to support this business because you don't seem to get it. Mm -hmm. You don't support Black Lives Matter um, and also support support places that do, you know, that, that are that are trying to make a change uh, when it comes to some of the corruption in our, in our systems and, and um, are supporting movements that that support efforts to 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 kind of end you know, the, the systematic oppression mm -hmm. and, and the racial unfairness. Well, and I think about all the times that we're on the playground picking up our kids after school or uh, we're in social situations, hopefully soon. Um, <laughs> and there was a, a great quote by a woman named Glennon Doyle, and she was talking mm -hmm. about how she wished it wasn't circles. You mentioned mm -hmm. circles, right? Mm -hmm. who's, who's in your circle? She's like, I wish they were horseshoes. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More open. Yeah. Because yeah, then it would open. open and invite people in. And I am I'm really, I feel so fortunate to have some friends who, um, a lot of which have lived in lots of different places and mm -hmm. moved around a lot. And what I've noticed about people who have lived in lots of certain places, they have once been an outsider. So whether they're a person of color, yep. a black person, a white mm -hmm. person, if you've moved around a lot, you've experienced as an adult what it's like to be an outsider. Mm -hmm. And if we looked at it through that lens, right, and uh, you're standing in a group of people and you see that it's a closed circle, open that circle up, mm -hmm. look around you, invite somebody in. And I have, you know, again, I have some great friends who have modeled that for me. But think about how that, that, then that models it for our children, mm -hmm. right? When they see you doing that. Yep. Right, that's the greatest teacher. Yep. Um, but if you're never showing them mm -hmm. how that's done, mm -hmm. and then we're telling them to do it, right? right? So how are we going to change our everyday mm -hmm. behaviors, right? So yeah. to be an ally, I think it, it is acknowledging we need to change our behavior yeah. mm -hmm. every day. You have to be day. intentional too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to be intentional around mm -hmm. it. Right. You know, my son played basketball at, at junior high this year, and um, there were a couple of black boys on the team. And I said, you know, are you friends with them? Oh, yeah, I'm friends with them. I'm friends with them. And, and then the season was over. And I'm like, well, did you ever want to invite them over to the house? You know? So they were yeah. friends when they were on the team together, yeah. right? Friends. Yeah. Um, so I said, you know what, let's be more intentional with, mm -hmm. with those sort of things. If they're really your friends, mm -hmm. let's invite them. Let's, mm -hmm. let's not just be a friend because you're on the team together. Right. You yeah. know, so like just starting, I think, conversations like that. Um, and I think that's great because, as we all know, those real relationships mm -hmm. in school mm -hmm. are not cemented in the classroom. No, those right. real mm -hmm. friendships right. and connections yeah. are cemented outside of the, the classroom. classroom. Mm -hmm. The sleepovers, the yeah. hanging out after school, mm -hmm. um, you know, the carpooling, yeah. even carpooling. Yeah. Um, those things are what make some of those bonds. You learn Which a lot in carpools. You learn a lot in carpooling. You do learn a lot in carpooling. I love carpooling. And take this from a girl who grew up in suburbia. You know, That's where the inclusion comes in. That's where people feel included because they're invited. It's not the parties where 
it's obligatory to invite everybody, mm -hmm. but it's like, hey, you know, do you want to come home, you know, for pizza or, mm -hmm. or you know, just hanging out or a sleepover or whatever? That's when I have found and I have seen um, not only for myself but in my own children those true connections mm -hmm. because people feel more responsible mm -hmm. for those kids. Like for me and for my kids, I feel like I have to kind of be the social engineer for them mm -hmm. and, and coordinating that. And one thing I've taught them, and this is how I'm raising my children, um, is if you do some of the inviting, people will eventually invite you back. Mm -hmm. um, but I grew up like that. So I think for adults you know, of color who may not be as familiar or used to white people, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so don't think it's only white people uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I right. think everybody's yeah. uncomfortable yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, just because of how we have been raised. But you can change that because I have no problems saying, white folks come over and, and play with my kids. And, yeah. and we laugh and joke about it, but they reciprocate. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so it's not even where color's an issue or a big deal. Yeah. And what has happened with that is that my, my son has had advocates, mm -hmm. particularly in his special needs space, but friend advocates mm -hmm. who, have, who at school who have stood up for him, mm -hmm. who have shown up for him. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just when you know, there was a school situation that didn't go well. But I, I, was, I was in tears because I was like, wow, you know, these may be the same kids who could save my son's life. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't a life and death, it was just art class. Right. But, but you know, but but these, that's how they grow I mean, yeah, up, though. that's how they grow but up. But they learn advocacy, and that's why it was important for me as a mother to speak up for all of those kids mm -hmm. who had spoken up for my son. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of an example of, of, of what I see and, yeah. and how it can make a big difference. So you did the, you did the exact right thing, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's steps like those, mm -hmm. you know, that, that really bring about change because everybody learns from, and everybody benefits from those moments where people are intentional mm -hmm. and, and they're, they're diversifying and blending and you know, socializing with people who just happen to not look like them. Mm -hmm. Do you find that, um, you know, so the term code switching, I think is also something that a lot of white people are unfamiliar with, but has become much more uh, popularized recently, given all that's going on. And that idea that you kind of have to hide a part of who you are. Um, and I, I'm just curious in Naperville in particular, because it's such a white community, if um, the idea that you have to kind of hide your blackness or hide some part of who you are, um, has that been something that's been bothersome in Naperville, um, just talking specifically about our community, or do you feel like that hasn't been your experience? No, that hasn't been my experience. I don't know about you, Dana, but... Code switching? <laughs> <laughs> to explain, you know, code switching is when you... Um, either talk different or dress different or act differently than you would at home mm -hmm. um, to make other people, particularly white people, feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, it's an interesting question because I feel like I'm always my authentic self. Mm -hmm. Y'all know that. Mm -hmm. I love um, about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. You know, but I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of everything, you know, particularly of, of how I grew up. But, you know, I grew up with people, white people, you know, obviously recognized my blackness. But so there were black people who called me a white girl. And so um, I've always kind of been just me in the middle. Dana being Dana. Dana. <laughs> but I got to a point where I was like, this is just going to be who I am. And you're either going to love it yeah. or you're not. And so that's the courageous conversation that I had to have with myself. About, about who I am and, and what I want to be. 
and I'm all inclusive, so everybody's welcome. Mm -hmm. um, but you always encounter people who will see that in you and try to tear that down. Um, I don't find that in Naperville, though, yeah. from my experience. But how has Naperville changed um, in the, you guys have been here, you've been mm -hmm. here all your life, mm -hmm. you've been here for 15 years. Have mm -hmm. you seen a difference in Naperville when it comes to race? Um, when I was a child, I remember being at the gas station right by the neighborhood um, that I grew up in, and a car full of black men were at the gas station. And I remember looking at my mother saying, they must be lost. Oh. Like my mom, I just, oh, they must be lost. Yeah. Like they don't, because it just wasn't right. something that was prevalent within the community when I was younger. Um, I think um, it, it, is, it is a more diverse community. I think it's a more um, accepting community. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of work to do still. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just remember, I don't know why I thought they must be lost, but I think mm -hmm. it was just, I don't think I was um, exposed to people that were different than me mm -hmm. when I was growing up here in the community, right? Yeah. Um, I did have it, when I was um, in grade school, my PE teacher was a, a black man. Um, and he was one of my favorite teachers. And I don't remember, I don't remember thinking he was black. Like his, his color made like no difference to me. Um, I then saw him, gosh, like six months ago at a um, implicit bias, like open conversation discussion. And he talked about the struggles that he had as a, as a black man, you know, in the school district and one of the first ones. And, and I opened my eyes to, wow, like that's something I never saw in him mm -hmm. or, or, or in my heart even knew that he was going through those things. Mm -hmm. So I think in, in different aspects of your life, um, you realize things and I realized his struggle that I never saw yeah. when, I was, yeah. when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. It's good for you to, to see that and to appreciate yeah. that. That's what mm -hmm. this is really all about. Mm -hmm. It's about appreciating other people's experiences mm -hmm. that are different from your own. Yeah. Um, how has this changed you? The Black Lives Matter, George Floyd's murder. Um, how has this changed you in any way? For me, it's self-reflection. I mean, I've yeah. just been doing a lot of research. I'm trying to learn. Um, I wasn't um, listening or hearing or, or, or um, searching and, and listening to other people's struggles. Um, so for me, I'm just trying to uh, be a better version of me and, and trying to, to learn more from others. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, I, um, you know, I think just in general, I look at how um, hopefully this, not, not really just changing me, but changing our country, right? Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. you know, our community, our country, I think, um, you know, when I think about hashtag me too, I think this is hashtag me too for civil rights and how yes. we move forward, right? And so um, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I know that, um, you know, when you think about the 60s, the late 60s, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but I think, you know, we have that allyship, we have people who are educating themselves, people who are, you know, wanting to um, uh, grow from this and see us move to the other side of this, right? Embrace diversity, embrace um, inclusion. Um, see the wrong in all of this. Mm -hmm. Systemic racism has been, you know, around for years, right? Centuries. Mm -hmm. It's time, mm -hmm. you know. So it's not about changing me, but hopefully it's changing the hearts and minds of people within our community. I think, you know, I hear a lot about, you know, folks who talk about, um, you know, 
Naperville is not a racist community and Naperville this, and people are quick to defend. And what's happening here in our community happens in communities all over Everywhere. the country, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's, what are you gonna do about it? Mm -hmm. You gotta have those conversations. They're uncomfortable for everybody. It's uncomfortable for me. It's probably uncomfortable, you, you know, it's mm -hmm. uncomfortable. But we gotta have those conversations. Because in order to move forward, you know, we need everybody alone. We can't do it alone. Yeah. We can't do it alone. And there needs to not be another, another George Floyd. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Well, the mamas have spoken. Yeah. We appreciate you ladies for being so much. here. Thank you. Um, Thank you. This is an awesome conversation and it's more conversations that we need to be having. Yeah. We're going to be right back and we'll be back with some fathers talking about Black Lives Matter. Welcome back to Finding Common Ground. Uh, we want to start the segment by introducing our guests. And we've brought on a couple of fathers who are part of our Naperville community to talk to us a little bit um, about race, Black Lives Matter, and parenting. So we're going to start with you, Cliff. Um, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about your family dynamic and, and how long you've been in Naperville? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm 43 years old. I've basically lived in Naperville since I was six. Uh, married, I have four kids, one daughter, Maggie, who's 13, going into eighth grade at Gregory. Uh, my boys, Will is 10, going into fifth grade. Uh, Kobe's eight, going into third grade. And then I have uh, a little guy, Finn, who's on my socks. Who's, <laughs> he's three, and he hasn't had a haircut yet. So um, I, got a, I got a full house. Yeah. Um, so I work downtown for a company, William Blair. Uh, I've been there for nine years. Uh, I, I was traveling a decent amount, so we'll see how that goes in the future. But um, yeah, so we've so I grew up in Naperville. My kids have grown up uh, in in Naperville. So um, I guess that's that's really it. Yeah. Great. And welcome, Gerald. Gerald good Lewis. How are you? Um, it's so good to have you joining us for this episode. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you and your family dynamic? Sure. So uh, I am a proud father of three. So I have uh, boy-girl twins that are four years old, Parker and Peyton. And I have an eight-year-old, uh, Caden, uh, eight-year-old son, and a proud husband of my wife, Tiffany. And we uh, have lived in Naperville now for just under three years. Uh, you know, raised our children early on in the south suburbs and Really, we're excited about what Naperville could offer us as a family, and so we transplanted and moved over. So it's been exciting. Great. So we're going to jump right in. Tell us about your reaction to the George Floyd murder. I, I can say my reaction was um, heavy heart. I think it honestly was kind of a, a few months in February, the Arbery one kind of got it going. Um, 
with my wife and talking to our kids, and then the George Floyd happened in the end of May, um, and it's just it just makes you sad because like we're just not being good to each other, being good humans, um, mm -hmm. treating each other with respect. So that that is kind of it's been tough. I mean, it's definitely. I think I think being at home all this time, stuck in quarantine, makes it maybe makes it worse. So like when you have everyone's already kind of like in the doldrums a little bit, right? And so then you have this stuff happen, and it just it makes you kind of lose confidence in in the human race and just you know being good people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, for me, like Cliff, I, I think my initial reaction was anger. I was very angry. Um, because for me, it brought up a lot of pain that I've seen, um, that I've experienced, and it just takes you back to, you know, just years and years of just the same old thing happening. And just to see it play out the way it did, you know, over eight minutes of just pain. Um, so I was angry, and then the anger turned to sadness, and um, you just really start to lose hope that, um, you know, we're going to get to a place where this type of stuff doesn't happen. Oh, I was going to say, I know you both have young children. You also have a teenager, it sounds like, or getting close to it. Thirteen. Thirteen, yeah. 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 Um, and I know, you know, as parents, we're we're nervous to talk about certain subjects with our kids. And mm -hmm. I think race is definitely up there, especially mm -hmm. for white parents. Yeah. Um, but talk to us a little bit about what conversations, if any, you had about what happened to George Floyd with, with your kids. I, I, th I think that for, for us brought up the whole white privilege thing. Um, so if you had asked me what white privilege was six months ago, I would have said it means you know, you're a, a trust fund baby, like that, that sort of thing. So I don't think I had a, a I know I didn't have a grasp on it. Um, but when the George Floyd incident happened, Heidi, my wife Heidi, took the, at dinner, started talking to the kids about, you, you need to understand that this stuff is happening out there and you guys haven't been subject to any of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when it kind of dawned on me that, like, I've had this great life growing up, you know, and, and I've worked really hard for everything I have. I know people get so defensive about that with the white privilege thing. Mm -hmm. You say, like, well, I've worked hard. I deserve it. It's like, well, it's, mm -hmm. not, a, it's not about that. It's that, you know, I, I've been a runner. My oldest is running. Like, I've, I've never been out on a run or a, a jog and worried about like my safety or anything like that I mean I Gerald and I were talking earlier and I told him like when I when I go running if you disturb me when I'm running you're gonna get the middle finger like I'm gonna get yeah. angry yeah you know like I'm not but I'm not worried about my safety right mm -hmm. um so those incidents these incidents kind of brought that out it's like you our kids need to understand that like hey there's there's places in the in the country where you have to worry and even in Naperville, you have to, you have to worry. And so if you're if you're black, you're you're dealing with things that white people just haven't had to deal with, and mm -hmm. just it never crossed my mind. So that mm -hmm. that was kind of the big conversation that the George Floyd incident led to. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, have I had a conversation with my kids? Um, it's it's a good question because in the in the outset of George Floyd, 
I delayed having a conversation right. because there were so many emotions that were going through me. I wanted to make sure that the message came out right with my kids. And it's interesting for me and my wife, Tiffany, we have young kids. We have the four-year-old twins and we have the eight-year-old. So the eight-year-old, you know, Caden, um, I initially started to have some conversations recently with Caden. And then I was, I'm proud to say that I took the twins to uh, our first march and we marched in Lyle um, this past weekend and that was probably the catalyst for me to have conversation with my twins mm -hmm. and they're not going to understand right. you know all the dynamics and the history and the pain and everything but it was interesting to get a four-year-old's take on what was happening yeah. and what they clearly could see happening was um, unity in the sense that you had people from all different backgrounds walking together for a reason mm -hmm. <laughs> and they knew that and you know as I shared with them what it was about and you know putting more awareness to social injustice I was getting the questions from four-year-olds what is social injustice and you try and put it in as simple simple mm -hmm. terms as you can for a four-year-old to process and but you know, what I let them know was that there are a lot of things in life that are unfair. And, you know, because of the color of our skin, there is a history and there is a fight that is going on to, um, you know, for equality and for social justice and to make things right. And I think they understood that. Uh, but there's going to be a, there, there's a lot more conversations to be had. And I think I'm... I, I humbly can say that I'm scratching the surface in terms of really talking to my kids. There's so much more to talk about, um, you know, about where we are right now and where we're trying to go. So, when you see people defensive of white privilege, what do you hear them say, or, or what do you think? How does that narrative of conversation? It's go? usually like, <clears throat> Cliff, you know me. Like I've worked so hard for everything I have. It's I haven't had anything given to me, and it's like, well. Yeah, that's that's true. I'm not nobody's saying that that's not true. It's that. But have you has the color of your skin ever held you back from getting an opportunity? Have you ever have you ever been worried when you go out running that you fear for your safety or fear for your kids safety, which as a parent is is like tenfold of fearing for your own safety, right? That mm -hmm. is that becomes paramount. Have you ever been pulled over and worried mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, um, and so I, I mentioned I travel a lot in October. So I like these hellish day trips sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I had to go to Albuquerque. And I like, instead of staying at night, since I got four kids, I wanted to get home. So um, my flight's delayed. I'm driving back from O'Hare at like 1030 at night. I am flying down like the highway. I get off 355. I'm coming down 75th. I'm going like 69 miles an hour in a 45. I get pulled over. And that's the first time I've been pulled over in like 10 years. But the first thing I thought of was, God damn it, like I want to get out of this ticket. Like I don't want to pay the money. You know, that sort of thing. Not, do I need to worry about my safety? Will like, I get home? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's white privilege. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. I, mean, I was worried about the financial aspect and just being bothered, just wanting to get home. You know, so that to me is, is white privilege. Yeah. So as fathers, we know that... Um, there's a lot of stereotypes about men and masculinity and, 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 and fathers um, and that you want to be stoic and you want to be strong and you want to be protectors of your children. Um, but 
sometimes that means it's hard to be vulnerable in front of our kids. Mm -hmm. And you expressed some emotions that you were feeling with George Floyd's murder, right? Sadness, mm -hmm. anger. Mm -hmm. Did you allow your children to see that? And, and if so, what, you know, what was their reaction to that? How did they respond to you in those moments? Yeah, for me, right, like I think, um, I still think to this day I'm a little guarded with showing my emotions to my kids because there is this sense of do I, do I really want them to see that vulnerability and that fear? I think this past weekend, I think for the first time, my twins saw a side of me that they haven't seen, which was a little of my sadness coming out. Um, there, was a, there was a very uh, delicate part of the march where we got to City Hall and everybody kneeled and um, people were just basically expressing their emotion outward for people to hear um, and what they've experienced in their life. And the culmination of all that really drew me to um, visible sadness that my kids could see. And um, I was more probably concerned for them because I didn't want them to be fearful. But at the same time, I think this time calls for some vulnerability for your kids to see really what is bothering and what is hurting their parent. And this is a conversation that I think has to be had, um, you know, not only with our kids, but when you think about the impact they're going to have when they hang out with their friends mm -hmm. as they get older and as they're hearing things and people are saying things to them, these early conversations are really going to matter for them to lay the foundation. So. I mean, I think being emotional is at least to an extent, is, is really a good thing. You know, allowing yourself to, you know, whether cry, be angry, whatever, yeah. I mean, it's healthy. That's how you feel. You should let it out. So I think it's good for your kids to, to see that because then they see how something affects you and mm -hmm. it makes them, it puts in perspective for them. They think, well, if dad's this upset or if mom's this upset about something, there's something to it. And I, maybe, maybe I should feel like that or at least... Maybe I should understand. It's okay if I feel that way. Yeah, yeah. I need to understand like why does my parent feel like that? You know, so it. I think it's. I think it's good. Um, and I think like with this stuff. I mean, my my ten year old Will. He gets. He gets upset. He plays sports and he gets too upset in sports. Like he's like that sort of thing. But things you, you can see that they affect him. And mm -hmm. so um, he'll cry about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I. I love that about him because he uh, he allows emotion to get to, to get him in a good way mm -hmm. yeah as as dads you and i know you all to be great dads you you thrive on on protecting your family um, mm -hmm. you're, you're good protectors both emotionally physically mm -hmm. and, and in so many different ways um, how has what's happened in our community in our world um, with george floyd and, and the subsequent marches we've had We've had looters. Uh, we've mm -hmm. had people who are not well-intentioned. Some of the hatred, the viral hatred, um, white supremacists. I mean, all these people coming out with all these raging emotions. Mm -hmm. How does that impact um, how you protect your family or your thoughts about, okay, as, as a father, how am I going to protect my family you know, in this space? Mm -hmm. and, and with so much uncertainty now as we're navigating yeah. 
Well, I would say, um, you know, for Caden, for the eight-year-old, I think, um, and to a certain extent, the twins too. I think there's, I think there's protection and awareness to the reality of what's going on out here. So just really making sure that I don't hold back from them for them and not let them see. And so with everything going on on the TV, you really it's hard to get away from a lot of the coverage. But I, what I've done is really started to open up that coverage to all three of my kids to start to have them thinking and have dialogue. I think when you think about, um, you know, you know, me growing up as a as a as a black man um, and some of the experiences I've been through, some of these conversations that, you know, you know black families have um, in terms of, you know, um, if you get pulled over by a by a cop, you know, don't try and fight, you know, don't try and argue, do everything you're told. I think those conversations are still warranted conversations mm -hmm. from my family and when I talk to my kids um, I haven't had that kind of conversation yet but it's a conversation that I definitely plan to have because I do believe it's important to have and um, you know I know Cliff you mentioned running out and going on a run and not and not being worried and um, you know maybe your first instinct is 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 not safety you know for my kids that's what I thought about when I saw George Floyd is that could be me, that could be my kids, that could mm -hmm. be, you know, my wife, uh, you know, on the ground. Yeah. And that's the reality. So, yeah. Kim White, who was on the, obviously the, the first part of this, had that, had the article in the Herald and she had her son, um, Ben, had the article in the, in the Trib. And her article, she talked about the... Yeah. You know, while she was putting her thoughts down on paper, her son was going out for a run, and she was worried. And I, when I read that, it's like I've never, it's never occurred to me. It's never mm -hmm. occurred to me to, to have that. But I, I think with the with the kids too, you have to. Um, I mean, you, you you have to tell them to stand up for what's right. Yeah. Um, it's never occurred to me to have the, mm -hmm. some of the things that you said, like I, to tell them that like. It, no one's driving yet, thank God. Well, when they get to that <laughs> point, like, yeah. if you get pulled yeah. over, don't talk back, don't do this. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, that's not a conversation I've ever even thought about having with them about getting pulled over or any, anything for that matter. But I, but I do think the conversations that we've had are if you see somebody getting bullied or you see somebody yeah. doing something racist at school or, or, mm -hmm. or what, something that's not right, Yep. And you know in your heart that's not right. You stand up for yourself, yeah. and I will always back you. You know if that's mm -hmm. the, if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's similar in the conversations you have about how you talk to your sons about about girls, or how you talk to your daughters about boys? Because there's differences, right? Right. Dana mm -hmm. and I were talking about the fact that, you know, I'm I'm raising two white sons, and yeah. after the Me Too movement. I realized that I hadn't done a very good job of educating my boys about things like consent, mm. right? And that, you know, a lot of the violence against women, the vast majority of it is perpetrated by men, right? Yeah. Um, and so what have I done to help, right, talk to my boys? We've done such a good job of talking to girls about how to protect yourself, right, in the right. way that you're talking to your children about mm -hmm. what's going to happen when you are getting pulled over. Right. Um, but not enough conversations have happened with boys and men about mm. things like consent because you're actually the one doing the perpetrating. Why are we putting this on the victim? Yeah. Right. 
Um, so I think that we, we were talking about that parallel mm -hmm. and how, you know, it's not going to be the same conversation for you, Cliff, right? Because, but it's letting your children know potentially what Gerald's kids are going to be going through. And yeah. what if they're in the car yeah. when their black friend gets pulled over? That's, that's right. And I think, I think the, the recent events have kind of put that in perspective. Like before, if you, maybe I wouldn't say anything about some of that stuff or, or just I, since I wasn't even really aware of it. Mm -hmm. and now, you, you, for those reasons, you, you have to. Yeah. Even if they're not in the car with somebody down the road, just mm -hmm. you need to understand, that, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. That's mm -hmm. really what it comes down mm -hmm. to. Um, you know, like in the classes for, for like my kids, like there might be one or two black kids. It's not, that, mm -hmm. that's not a lot. And I, I'm curious yeah. to hear from you, mm -hmm. you know, when you, I bet for, for your kids, is it this, is the same thing? Same I mean, thing, yeah. same thing, yeah. yeah. So just right there, I mean, you, you want, I mean, think about if you're the only kid of a race in that class, right? right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like that's gotta be pretty intimidating. So kids need to understand, my kids need to understand, all kids need to understand and be, respectful, put yourself in somebody else's shoes, think about how hard it might be for that person. So maybe, you know, help them out, right? Be a friend, do something, be a good person. Yeah, for my, for my it's it good you brought that up, Cliff, right? For my eight-year-old, Caden, he goes to school in the city, so his experience is a little bit different than my twins. Um, he, uh, for my twins, um, in preschool, they're the only black people in their, in their class. And this is preschool. Um, and so I always wonder, you know, obviously, how is that going to translate as they get older? Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I think, um, you know, I mentioned something earlier about, you know, when I, when I saw the George Floyd incident over and over and I watched it multiple times, there were just a lot of different stories and a lot of different incidents that have either happened to me or that I've been told that just all culminated into me watching this. And that's what brought about a lot of the pain. And, and the reason I go back to my kids is because what I think about is if, God forbid, that incident ever happens at school where they're called the N-word or and it's happened to colleagues of mine at work have told me stories of young, their young kids, my kids, my twins age and Caden's age, you know, being called that. And they don't know how to respond to that. And so when you talk about defending them. I want to be there when that happens, right. but the reality is I'm not probably going to right. be in a lot of those situations mm -hmm. that they get involved in. And so there's only so much you can do to prepare your kids. And I know I have a, I have a lot of work to do as a dad to help prepare them, but you will always, I just have in the back of my mind, am, are they going to be ultimately prepared? Yeah. Are they going to be emotionally ready for whenever that happens? And how is it going to really affect them? Because that's what's really going to crush me, yeah. right? Is there, you know, what happens as a result of that? Well, we're going so. to talk about some of that allyship and defense and support of our kids. But we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
And welcome back to Finding Common Ground. So we were just talking about uh, an experience that a friend of yours had. Would you would you tell us that story? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, when I think about my kids and thinking about the experiences that they, they could be up against as they grow and get older, you know, I think about, you know, uh, a story that my good friend and colleague of mine at work told me about his children who about the same age as my children and you know he at the time was living in the Milwaukee area with his family and um, you know his kid his his daughter came home and told him that you know uh, another student had called her the n-word and and you know obviously the immediate reaction was well we got to talk to the principal about this it's unacceptable and you know this is probably I don't know maybe three four years ago and of course, you know, um, the the parents went to, to to speak to the principal, and it was almost as if the principal was trying to brush it aside mm. and, and 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 acknowledge it happened, but minimize we minimize it. We don't need to blow this up. We don't need to, for the sake of the the parents and the children, we don't need to get into the drama. And as you know. Anthony's telling me this, I, you know, I just could not believe, number one, yeah. that that would be the initial reaction from the school. But at that time, Anthony had every right to just go off, right? And, you know, Anthony's the most mild-mannered, you know, one of the most mild-mannered guys that I know. And, um, you know, I could just sense the anger in his voice as he was telling me the story. But, you know, certainly they did get to a point where there was some action taken. But it just, it told me, and I thought about that story when I, you know, was reflecting on George Floyd, and you asked the question about, you know, protecting your kids, right. and this idea that you can't always have your arms around them every step of the way. There's going to be some moment, and I think about that, and that's probably the pessimist in me, but I think that there's going to be some moment where you're not going to be able to protect your, I'm not going to be able to protect yeah. Caden or Peyton or Parker, and they're going to get exposed to some type of racism, and how do you how are they going to handle it in that moment? And what is my reaction going to be? Yeah. Right? Well, obviously, your parents had conversations with you about race, mm -hmm. um, treating humankind. What are some of the lessons that your parents taught you and or things that you've seen in yourself when it comes to your parenting with your children, particularly about this issue? I think um, I had a lot of good talks with my dad. Some of them didn't really resonate until I went away to college at, at University of Illinois. And when we were freshmen, when you're freshmen, you go, you live in the dorm, and they put these like stickers up on the doors says your name, where you're from. Mm -hmm. So me and my roommate are from Naperville. Our our whole floor hated us because we're from Naperville, so they viewed us as uh, rich kids. Yeah. So that was like my first experience of dealing with kids from another town. I thought like, I'm not even, I'm like middle class in Naperville. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. we don't, it's not even, like, we're not, I never had thought about myself as being rich. But uh, so I, I explained that to my, my dad and it's like, you were, and this kind of goes back to the white privilege. It's like you're, you've had opportunities that a lot of other people haven't had. So it's just kind of like, just be appreciative of, you don't have to apologize, but be appreciative, acknowledge what you have, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of like, I think the biggest thing that I, I got from, from my dad, because he would say like, 
you know, <clears throat> there's people, I, we had people who would say like, oh, it's BS. Like if you work hard enough and do things a certain way, you can make it to any point in life. The bootstrap from, myth, right? From Everybody any starting can point. themselves up from their bootstraps. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's crap, yeah. right? I mean, like, no, if you were born in, like, what if I was born in like the inner city or something mm. like that? I, you know, I didn't know who my dad was. Like there, there's a lot of things, a lot of difficulties that you could have. So like, I didn't have any of that. So that was my dad's point is just understand that not everyone, and that's why you, you know, you're having people view you as like this, this Naperville kid. Well, mm -hmm. that's, they don't know you yet, but that's what they're, they're stereotyping, but it, that's out there, so. Mm. Chris Rock said in one of his sketches that, you know, he lives, obviously he's famous, right? And he said, <laughs> he said but his neighbor, his <laughs> next door that. neighbor <laughs> is a, a dentist. dentist. Yeah. And so that, that makes the whole point of, of, of what, right. you know, white privilege looks like. You know, yeah. a famous comedian who's been in the game for years um, yeah. living next to being neighbors with yeah. a dentist. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. You both are athletes. Right. And I think one of the ways, and this came up in the, in the last conversation um, where, where Jackie Claremont was talking about how her son is friends with black boys on the basketball team. Mm -hmm. How do you think sports plays into the discussion about race and how people come together? Because I played sports as well, and I think just in that context, in, in many ways, it's about uh, ability, yeah. agility, yeah. right? Um, and, and in many ways, athleticism in sports can be a neutralizer. Yeah, you know, I think um, it's, it's funny because Cliff and I were talking before the, the show about the power of sports. And I, and I really do believe that sports is a little bit ahead in terms of like where the, the broader society. Well, ahead in certain instances, <laughs> right. and I get to that. But, <laughs> I mean, when you think about, we talked about the Drew comment and how... Can you repeat what that, what that comment and, was? And, yeah, so, you know, I think um, when asked about his initial reaction to George Floyd um, and the Black Lives Matter movement and kneeling in the, as the future of the NFL, Drew took an immediate stance behind the flag and started to talk mm -hmm. about the importance of the flag and how kneeling was, was going to be a, a shot at disrespecting the flag. And then he went into, you know, why he believes that. And for me, I totally get it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a veteran. I understand what he was saying, but there was a part of me that didn't understand what he was trying to make a connection point to because to me, and I told Cliff this, it's two separate conversations. Mm -hmm. And the power of sports, you know, I think, you know, I know that some of Drew's black teammates got to him right away and said, you know, let, real talk here, right? Yeah. And I think Drew stepped back and realized what was going on, and he, it was a mea culpa, and he came back and he said, hey, I'm sorry, and, and they accepted him back in. That's the part, I think, where sports is ahead, because mm -hmm. I think we have a lot of work to do in the broader society around having these conversations, uncomfortable conversations, bringing you know, our white brothers and sisters back into the fold and, 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 and almost resetting. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is an opportunity here, um, you know, to have these uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations mm -hmm. and it may not come out right. It may come off a certain way. But if we're going to get to the other side and we're going to get through, 
we've got to be able to move it forward. And I, I saw that in that Drew Brees comment. Do you think right? it's because of a team aspect, yeah. team dynamic yeah. in sports? No doubt. Like, yeah, like Gerald said, they held, them, they held them accountable. Like, so he mm -hmm. makes stupid comments that are just misplaced. I don't, I don't think necessarily mm -hmm. uh, racist. Right. But just totally missed the mark. So then he apologizes. And if you, if you don't want to accept the apology, I, I understand that. But I, his teammates did. Mm -hmm. who were initially like or immediately pissed when he said it and then they took him back and even you know trump tried to say like mm -hmm. you know drews you you were right all along and he mm -hmm. said no mr president i was i was wrong but that's the power of sports it's the power of mm -hmm. teammates when you've gone to war with people yeah. you know race is irrelevant right i mean right. you you just we're saying you're past that you're past that you don't even like that stuff doesn't really matter anymore and that's so it's like if his teammates can bring him back, like that's a great lesson for all of us, right? right. Like there's going to be mistakes. I mean, you've seen like the, yeah. the, there was just like the Bubba Wallace incident now yeah. with the yeah. Confederate flag, NASCAR. which is not, you know, that's awful. But there's going to be mistakes and we're going to have to grow, continue mm -hmm. to grow. And I think sports is just a great example of breaking down that, those, those barriers. So... So you segue that perfectly into this idea of allyship, right? So I think a lot of white people think that we need to show up perfectly, mm -hmm. that we need to have it all figured out, that we need to be completely anti-racist and showing up. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's so many different ways to be a good ally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I, I'd love to hear from both of you. Like, you know, for you, mm -hmm. Gerald, you know, how, if and how are your white friends showing up for you right now? And then, mm -hmm. and then you, Cliff, a little bit about your you know, how you perceive yourself to be an ally in this conversation. Yeah, so, you know, I, I'll say um, some of my white friends have shown up in the sense that they've proactively reached out. We've had conversations. We've talked about it. And some of the conversations have been short. Some of the conversations have been long. There have been some emotion. But then there are a lot of friends that haven't. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I think about what that means. I think about, you know... Um, how my reaction is going to be when and if I do hear from them, right, at some point. But, you know, I think, again, to your question about, you know, what's the best thing that... Yeah, what's felt the best for those friends that have yeah. called you in conversations? Like, what for you has, has filled your bucket, if you will, and, and, and made you feel maybe a little lighter about all of this, yeah, too? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just to listen. Just to listen and really hear... Um, the stories, hear the pain, hear the um, just, um, what's the best word I can use? Just all of the different um, experiences that I've had that tie into George Floyd and tie into all of these other stories that we're seeing on TV now. Uh, the Bubba Wallace story that maybe they've never thought could happen and that listening and, and being willing to hear it, but then talk about their vulnerabilities with it and be open to and vulnerable to um, the opportunity that they have. And then, you know, I think that that's the first part. I think the conversation, the listening, and really with empathy and really wanting to 
add to the discussion, but then I think there's a separate conversation, which is the action piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that is putting, you know, the rubber to the road in terms of really moving it forward, right? And not just talking. But I think the talking yeah. is big because that's the starting point. Mm -hmm. And we have to start somewhere, and that's that uncomfortable conversation. We're saying like all the corporations have made a statement, yes. you know, following this, which is great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you can't just make a statement and then you got it. There's got to be, you know, something else to it. Otherwise, we'll be it's a couple years from now, we'll have another couple incidents right. or whatever. And, we'll, you know, we don't want to be right back to, to where we were. Mm -hmm. So I, I think from my perspective, um, I think the first thing, like you're just saying, for me, it's with like the white privilege going back to that is just acknowledging it like understanding that the pain is real. I understand like I'm never going to you know grasp the magnitude mm -hmm. for like right. the two of you of what you've dealt with the injustice the oppression like mm -hmm. I I'm not but I can put myself in your shoes mm -hmm. and understand that the pain is real. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of the the, the first thing. Mm -hmm. Um and then for me, I guess, it, you know, it's like checking, checking my privilege. So I understand that I have it. Well, can I use it as a platform mm -hmm. and do something good with it, mm -hmm. right? And um, you're talking about that principle before. Um, yeah. Leadership is so key. Uh, but good leadership elevates others, mm -hmm. right? And so we need everybody to contribute in this and everybody to feel like they're a part of it. And that's, that's kind of how you, you move forward. Um, but I, so for me, there's, there's an education perspective of like understanding black history better. Like I didn't really know what Juneteenth was before. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, things like that, you know, there's, there's a subconscious aspect of it. So like my firm has talked about doing some subconscious training, which I think, I think that'd be a good thing. I know I would, I would do that. So, um, I don't know, but that, I mean, yeah. there's definitely, we, we, we need to, <clears throat> when you have conflict or have an event like the George Floyd and, and some of these other ones that happened prior, because I don't want to say that's, it's not like that's the only incident. Right. Um, but when you have conflict, sometimes you get, you know, you get perspective, you get better understanding and you come out of that with better relationships. And so if that event in turn leads to, um, mm -hmm. you know, people having a better understanding of what it's like to be a different race, you know, to, to, to be black, where, 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 you know, you're in a town like Naperville where three-fourths of the population is white. If, if all of this gets us to a better place, then that's progress. And that's mm -hmm. really what you're trying to get to out of all this, right, mm -hmm. is, is make, make progress out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. We, um, I was a part of a leadership uh, development program, um, Leadership Greater Chicago, and um, I was telling Cliff, we had a conversation a couple days ago uh, with one of our white brothers that was in the class, and you know, he's a, a, a all-in Trump supporter, and um, you know, I appreciate the diversity in our class, and we were talking to him about you know, this Black Lives, Matter, Black Lives Matter movement and what, you know, how has that shaped him or how has that changed the way he's thinking right now, you know, with the political lens, because we know he's really into politics. And, um, you know, he he went into, a, you know, a big, um, you know, defense, if you will, about his support for Trump and the political piece of it. And then he talked about he had a picture of Abraham Lincoln above him. That was an heirloom in his family that his great great grandmother had this you know, picture and, 
And he talked about the significance of that to him and the Republican Party and just went on and on. And, and it was wrapped up nice in a bow and it, you know, was really good reasoning. And, you know, we stepped back after that conversation and I talked to a couple of my um, fellow fellows who um, just were really disturbed by that conversation. And so we put together you know, Dan put together a long email to send to him that really challenged him to think deeper about yeah. it and not challenge him to think beyond the politics and think about what this means. You know, for, let's put Trump to the side for a minute mm -hmm. and let's just think about the time we're in and you having to think differently about things now, right? And, and challenge yourself and look into the mirror. And mm -hmm. I think that's just a microcosm of what we have up against us right now, everybody, right? To really think about, and again, to your question about, you know, what can, you know, my white friends do, I think is really challenge their inner self. Yes. Um, you know, to what has, what they have thought, mm -hmm. to what they could be thinking mm -hmm. about and what they can do. And, you know, it gets beyond listening you know, and, and I think in taking action is, you know, putting yourself in that uncomfortable situation. And I, I always wonder in white circles, you know, what, what the conversation looks like. You know, I just imagine, Cliff, you at the table with your white friends and thinking about <laughs> what you're talking about off of this. And beer. Yeah, and I just can't, I can't, I, <laughs> I, I wonder, it's, it's interesting, right? Because this, this conversation around when you hear you know, a friend of yours that may make a comment and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, are you challenging him? Are mm -hmm. you challenging that uh, friend yeah. right there on the spot in that group? Or what does that look like? Because to me, that's action. Yeah, that's the action that you're we can't about. see, but that's action that's going to move it forward Absolutely. in terms of stepping up to say, hey, you know what, bro, let, let's talk about that because yeah. cool. that's not cool, right? Well, a lot of times those <laughs> conversations are happening because there's no black people around, right? Like mm -hmm. those are only coming out. Mm -hmm. People are sometimes only showing those stripes. I've got a friend where that happens all mm -hmm. the time. Um, Just like off He's Cuban. Mm -hmm. And so, but he looks, he presents like a white man. He's a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. And so he's Cuban. And so, um, yeah, he hears it all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about speaking up in those moments um, and saying something. Right. Because that's how you affect change. Right. You know, the problem with the principal and the story that you mentioned earlier is that they were afraid to inconvenience the family mm -hmm. that said it, right. make them feel awkward <laughs> or bad. You need to feel awkward, you right. know, not, not as necessarily a punishment, but to understand and truly get the fact that that's not okay. Right. Um, and, and what you do in your home, no one can necessarily change that. Mm. But when you come out of outside and when you come out of those walls, mm -hmm. how you interact in the world right. needs to be more humane, right. needs to be better. Um, and that's the only way we can really make progress. We're talking a lot about the idea of courageous conversations, uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. And a, a theme that I've been hearing a lot of um, is, is sitting with your discomfort, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And there's so many, I mean, we were talking earlier with the segment with the moms about social media and how it's a blessing and a curse right now, right? There's so much imagery and there's so mm -hmm. much negativity, there's so much hatred, but there's also some really great things coming out of it, great information and knowledge sharing about anti-racism and things like that. But one of the quotes that I read on social media was, um, the system's not broken, mm. it was designed this way. Mm. Mm. 
And I remember reading that and sitting with that, right, as a white person mm -hmm. and thinking, mm -hmm. that's powerful, yeah. right? Like, now let me really sit and think about and reflect on, it was designed this mm -hmm. way. How yeah. am I benefiting from this design? Mm -hmm. And how are others suffering from this design? But more importantly, I know it was built this way and it's not broken, but mm. that doesn't mean we can't fix it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so this parenting conversation truly is about how we're going to fix it, right? right. It's in our hands, um, whether you're a parent or not, but I think we feel an additional mm. responsibility because the three lives, the four lives, the two right. lives, the two lives, right? right? Just in this room yeah. that, that we are fostering, right. right? Like the power of just our group of children alone, right? If we just right. put, right? And then we brought Jackie and Kim out and their children, another right. four and another two. Like the power of it's just impactful. that collective group mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. really powerful. Mm -hmm. I want these types of conversations to be the norm where people of color, people not of color, different ethnicities, um, religions, backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, mm -hmm. can really just come together um, and just be people. Whether you're at the, the playground with the water park, the splash pad, mm -hmm. um, or whether you're in a restaurant somewhere, you're at a bar, and you're, you're just having conversations with people. I liked the idea of what you said before about the team aspect, mm -hmm. you know? It's, it's having that camaraderie Mm -hmm. that allows you to have uncomfortable moments, mm -hmm. sit in discomfort, you know, be accountable for mm -hmm. what you say, make mistakes, mm -hmm. and then be back into the fold. Right. What's more human than that? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think this is really all about. So I thank you both for joining us for this conversation because thank I you. hope yeah, people you. are getting some of the gems from this um, that came from you and are implementing them in, in their daily grind and, and what they're doing to be aware, to be conscious, to take action, because mm -hmm. it's the kind of thing that we need. Um, and I think that's what's so important. And it's what we get that helps us to find common ground. <laughs>